Well, welcome. Thank you uh, so much for being here with us this weekend. I'm so glad that you've chosen to, uh, to make us a part of your weekend. Well, I guess, I guess you're not here. I guess I'm there. So I should just be thanking you for letting me uh, join you wherever you're at. Maybe you're watching from your living room or wherever that is. I'm so glad that you're here with us this weekend. Um, I know it's been a crazy time, but I'm just so encouraged uh, by this season that, that the church is still going, that God is still on the move and and the church is not just a building, the church is a people. And we can continue to gather, we can continue to worship, we can continue uh, to just build community and grow in our faith. I'm so encouraged by that. Uh, My name is Garrett. I am the high school and college pastor here at River Glen. Um, And it's just been a weird couple weeks. I've been working at home the last couple weeks. And uh, so I've been, you know, working on my couch or uh, chilling in my sweats and, and, and getting work done that way. And my wife's been home working with me as well. So I am fully prepared to give this message uh, to an empty room because I, I, I'm used to no one laughing at my jokes uh, because that's how it's been. But uh, I think my wife is sick of me. I'm just kidding. She loves me. But I made the mistake a couple days ago. I said something. She came, she came down the stairs and right, we've been doing the whole, you know, chilling, right? Sweatpants, hair tied, chilling with no makeup on. Okay. That's how it's been working at home. But she came downstairs and she had her makeup on. She had her hair did. She had a nice sweater on. And I was like, Ooh, I was like, you look pretty today. And I thought that that was a compliment, but really what I was saying was you look pretty today in comparison to the last couple weeks when you ain't been with your makeup on, your hair did, and looking all nice with your sweater, right? And I didn't mean it like that, but that's definitely how it was perceived. So that's, that's my bad, babe. I'm sorry, you look beautiful. But what had happened is she had come downstairs and it, and it caught my attention. I, I, I was noticed, right? I, I noticed her coming down. And it's really where we get this word interesting. It's where we get the word interesting from is something that catches intrigue, something that catches the interest or, or catches attention. It, it rises our level of interest into that thing. And this week, I'm gonna be continuing our series, The Most Interesting Man in the World, picking up week two in this series, looking at who this man was. And that man, the most interesting man in the world, is Jesus. Throughout all of history, he is the most interesting man in the world. Whether, whether you're religious or not, he is the most interesting man in the world. And this week, we're going to be looking at a story of Jesus in the wilderness. And it's an odd, peculiar, interesting story about the Son of God finding himself in the wilderness in the middle of temptation from the devil. And our message is going to pick up in in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 2. It says this, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that Matthew adds that because it's like, of course, right? 40 days, 40 nights, no eating. I'd be hungry too, right? I go like an hour until I'm ready for my next meal. Maybe I'm the only one, but I've been playing this game the last few weeks, being at home more. Uh, am I hungry or am I just bored, right? And, and I get hungry in between an hour and, and Jesus is like 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. It's like, yeah, I bet he was, right? He's hungry. So it continues verse three. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, 
tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Come on, shame the devil, right? That's what, that's what I've taught our high school students to say after a good verse like this. They say, shame the devil, right? The story that we're looking at is Jesus in the wilderness, and the title of this week's message, of this topic, is the man who overcame the wilderness. Jesus, the man who overcame temptation, the man who overcame the wilderness, or as I'm calling it, born to be wild. And, it, and it's so important that when we read stories like this, when we read stories in scripture, when we read stories about Jesus, about who he was and the things that he did, we've got to understand the larger context of what is happening. You see, it's very easy with the way that our English Bibles are written to read things chapter by chapter, section by section, right? If they're broken up with the title. However, by doing that, we can so often miss out on the greater biblical narrative that is being told. And so what we want to do is zoom in and say, okay, this is an interesting story, right, about Jesus being alone in the wilderness. It's actually the only story of Jesus where there's no witnesses. There's no other witnesses. It's just him and the devil duking it out in the desert. And so we've got to look at this and, and, and maybe glean from it, okay, Jesus probably told this story about himself to his disciples. I imagine the disciples and Jesus sitting around a campfire and Jesus tells them this story. And I don't think it was like a, like a scary story, like I was, I was in the desert and I was hungry and then the devil showed up, right? It wasn't like that. It was, it was, it was meant to be, intended to be an encouraging and motivating story on how to overcome the battle of temptation, on how to overcome the wilderness. And so our story really starts a chapter before this in chapter three. If we jump back to, to Matthew chapter three, verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit 
of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It immediately then goes into, goes into chapter four saying, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The story of Jesus overcoming temptation is not just a story of him in the wilderness. The story of Jesus overcoming temptation is a continuation of the story of his baptism. It is a continuation of his, of his rebirth, of his baptism, of his, of his uh, uh, official stamp of approval from his heavenly father, right? Because nothing else in his ministry had begun yet. Nothing else had happened. This is essentially the, the moment that, that it would all begin. He hadn't done any teachings. There were no miracles. There, were, there was no message of Jesus that had happened yet until this moment. And it was the baptism, it was the, the, the words of his father spoken over him that sent him into the wilderness. He went from, from being born again in baptism right into the wilderness. Jesus was born to be wild and he goes straight in to the wilderness. And I love what God does here in the book of Matthew because Matthew is, is the first book of the New Testament, right? And, and, and he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. He wants to captivate a Jewish audience. And, and the, 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 the separation between the Old Testament and New Testament is 400 years and so you've got a Jewish audience who has been waiting for their message of redemption, their person of redemption, their hope, their king, their Messiah, as they would have called him. They've been waiting 400 years and this is the beginning story of Jesus. I love what God does because he shows his son Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel. If we go back 1,500 years before this occurrence to, to a peak pinnacle moment of the Israelites, right? A, a, a moment that is beloved in their nation would be the moment that they escaped Egypt and left Egypt and went into the wilderness, the story that Ben talked about just last week. But I wanna look at that and, 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 and parallel it to what is going on with Jesus in this moment, right? It begins with Israel, Okay? And Israel, they come from Egypt, right? They've been slaves and, and, and they come out of Egypt. They're led by Moses, the prophet. He leads them out of Egypt. They show up uh, to the water, right? And they pass through the waters, okay? The, the, the Red Sea splits and all of Israel passes through the waters. They continue, they journey straight into the wilderness from that moment and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and in the 40 years, they get tempted and they fall in and they give in to temptation. That's the message of Israel. That, that's the picture that we have of Israel from the Old Testament. And we're left with a people wandering in the wilderness, a people hoping for, for, for redemption, for their savior, for their king. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and look at how he parallels. Look at how he fulfills the broken people of Israel. He comes from Egypt. Jesus, after his birth in Bethlehem, immediately flees to Egypt with his family. And so he spends time there as a child. So he comes from Egypt. 
He's led by JTB, that's what I call him, John the Baptist, the prophet, right? The prophet of this time, he baptizes him. And so Jesus passes through the waters, just like Israel did at his baptism. He then immediately journeys into the wilderness. He's there not for 40 years, but he's there for 40 days. And he, unlike Israel, overcomes temptation. Jesus is the fulfillment, not just of Israel, but the fulfillment of us as a people. The message of Jesus is a message of we failed, he succeeded. A message of we were lost, he found us. A message of we were broken, he put us back together. The message of Jesus is a message of lost, wandering people. It's a message of we can't, he can. It's a message of we couldn't, he did. A message of we, we weren't able to, he was. We are weak, he is strong. We give in, we fall, he overcomes. The message of Jesus is a message of fulfillment. And he has showed up on the scene to fulfill all the areas of our lives that we failed. That's who Jesus is. He is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the new Israel and he is the fulfillment of you and I today. And what I want to do is zoom in to this story, zoom in to the wilderness and look at what Jesus was going through and, and more specifically, look at what Jesus did so that we too can overcome temptation, so that we too can overcome the wilderness. So that in this season of, of, of chaos and stress, that we won't give up, and that we won't give in. And I know, I know we're in the midst of, of craziness right now. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic and, and we're in the midst of, of chaos. But I refuse to let us be a people who are not transformed in this season, to just let this pass on by without us examining ourselves and being transformed in the midst of this craziness. See, I don't know much about COVID-19. I don't know all the answers. I don't know the expectation. I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that, is that God is good all the time, that Jesus is still king, that he is still on his throne, that he brings beauty from ashes. He turns graves into gardens. He brings life from death. He brings hope from what was lost and he brings new to what was old and what was broken. He turns good from what was evil. This is the God who is present now, even in the midst of our chaos. And so I don't want us to just go through this season. I don't want us to just go through this season. I want us to grow through this season. I want myself to not just go through it. I wanna grow through this season. So the first point, I have five points that I wanna share with you, things that Jesus did in the wilderness that we can immediately apply to our lives. The first thing is that Jesus is on his knees. Jesus is on his knees. The very beginning, we see, we see Jesus fasting. And, 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 and fasting all throughout scripture is always connected to prayer. And so vice versa, right? Prayer and fasting, they go together. Jesus is spending this time praying and fasting. 
Maybe some of you um, are, are, are going through Lent right now. It's, it's Lent season, a season of, of giving something up and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this right for this time. And it's, and it's fasting, essentially. It's giving this want up so we can focus on what our soul needs. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is he's focusing more on feeding his soul rather than feeding his physical body. And maybe you've been going through Lent and then all this stuff happened, right? And you were like, I was going to give that up, but you know, then quarantine hit, right? Or, or I was going to stop that, or I was going to do this more and be consistent about this, but you know, now my whole family's in the house and we're working from home and it's too crazy, right? And, it, and it's easy to, 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 to allow that to happen, to give up in that season. But I wonder how much our lives would change, how much they would be strengthened if we implemented prayer and fasting. Maybe it's just as simple as setting a reminder on your phone three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night, and, and you dedicate five minute sessions to, to praying and, and seeking God and spending time with God. I just downloaded uh, these two apps. It's called Daily Office and Daily Prayer. And they send me reminders that it's time to pray uh, morning, afternoon, and night. And then they even give me guided prayers in scripture that I can read through in that moment. Maybe, maybe it's praying and spending time in prayer. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe right now you're gonna say, I'm gonna give something up so I can focus on what I actually need. God, I'm gonna say no to this for this season so that I can grow spiritually, that I can grow my soul, that my soul can become better rather than just feeling my physical desires and, and wants and needs, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's fasting one day a week and spending that day just seeking God. Maybe it's praying for people. I bet there's a lot of people right now who could use your prayer. Maybe it's pray for yourself, praying for your family, praying for your children, praying for your friends, praying for your neighbors, praying for your church, praying for your leaders, praying for our nation as a whole. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. And the best way for sheep to, to know a voice is by hearing it constantly by being in constant relationship and constant communication with their shepherd, right? Constant relationship. And that's what we need. We want to learn God's voice. And so we need to dedicate a time for him. Jesus is on his knees. Point two, Jesus is by himself. Jesus is alone, right? He's by himself. And he did this often throughout the scriptures. He would go away to a secluded place and he would spend time just, just with God in the presence of God away from people. And he always did this, not just to be alone, right? To, to be done with people like he was annoyed. Jesus always spent time alone so that he could come back better. So that when he got back in community, when he got back with his disciples, he was filled, he was strengthened, Right? And, 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 and I know maybe your schedule is, is crazy right now. Maybe the house is now full. Maybe you've just become a homeschool parent and it's crazy at the house. My wife and I realized that this is probably the most alone time we've had since our honeymoon, right? We constantly have people over at the house or we're constantly hanging out with friends. And, and this is definitely the most amount of meals that we've cooked at home in a row, right? We haven't been going out. Um, but it's weird because our society is, is, is constantly filled with being with other people, being surrounded and having all these other voices in our ear. And not that those are bad things. Those are great things. Being in community, being with people is a great thing. 
But I just wonder what, what a moment in your day of alone time, how that could change your life, how we would approach life with more joy, more gentleness, more peace, more kindness, if we were coming from a moment of solitude with Jesus. Maybe it's coffee time in the morning. Maybe it's an evening walk around your neighborhood. Maybe it's getting in the car and just driving and playing some music and spending time with God. Maybe it's doing some breathing exercises, whatever it is for you. I want to encourage you to implement a moment of alone time if you can find it. Lean in to God and, and, and let your relationship with him go deeper. Third thing that, that we see Jesus doing, Jesus is in the fight. Jesus, we don't, we don't see Jesus right when the devil shows up. We don't see him going, blah, 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 blah. Nah, devil, I ain't listening to you. All right, bro, get up out of here. I don't need none of that. Okay, I ain't listening to you. No, Jesus goes straight into the wilderness. I love that it says in verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, right? Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. However, he was prepared right? He was led into the wilderness. I think a lot of the times for us, we fall into temptation because we either didn't expect it to happen and we're like, what is this? Temptation? A bad thing? What would I do, right? And we go about our life like it's not going to happen to us or we just go about our life unprepared for when it does show up. Jesus was fully prepared. He knew what he was getting into. A lot of the times I, I, I would look at this story as a moment of, of Jesus's weakness, showing Jesus's weakness, but really it's a story of Jesus's strength to in the midst of temptation, say, I know what I'm going to endure. I know it's gonna be tough, but I am choosing to face it head on and be prepared for the temptation. When I think of, of, King, of, of King David's temptation, right? In the Old Testament, King David um, had, had adultery with one of his, his soldiers' wives, Bathsheba. And the story really starts with David on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing, okay? And, and, and what I've always thought is, oh, that's bad, right? But the sin didn't happen when David saw Bathsheba. The sin happened when David turned to leave and decided to look again. The sin happened, the temptation was when he saw her. The temptation happened when he looked back and then decided to act upon his temptation, upon his feelings. See, David did not set himself up for success. He was not prepared for temptation. He, he was putting himself into a situation to easily fall in to temptation. And I don't want that for you. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it, it's been easy being at home all day, right? I just wonder, are we setting ourselves up to succeed or are we setting ourselves up right now to fail, to fall in to temptation? Is having my phone on me, on the couch all day gonna be good for me? Is sitting on the couch watching TV, vegging out, going to be good for me? Is having unhealthy food in the house, in the fridge, gonna make me wanna eat the good food that I kind of have a little bit of, right? Is staying up on the computer after everyone else has gone to bed and, and, and looking up the things you shouldn't, is, is, is being up on the computer alone at night, is that gonna set you up to succeed? Are we setting ourselves up to succeed and overcome 
Or are we walking into situations blindly, unprepared, going into the fight without any gloves on, without our punches ready, without, without our, our, our God in our corner? Are we walking into the ring blindly, ready to take a sucker punch to the face? See, the good thing, not the good thing, our life is to model Jesus, right? And if Jesus faced temptation, unfortunately, we're gonna face temptation too. But the good thing is that if temptation is a part of Jesus' story, and that's a part of our story, so is overcoming. Overcoming is a part of Jesus' story, so overcoming can be a part of your story. And it happens by going into the fight, by facing it prepared. Maybe it's finding an accountability partner and reaching out to someone saying, I need help. Maybe it's removing some things right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it's, it's taking care of those now while you can. Maybe life's gotten busier. Maybe life's gotten more free. Focus on the fight. Go into the fight prepared. The fourth, fourth point is that Jesus is filled with the word. Jesus is filled with the word, right? We see him in this passage quoting scripture back and forth between the devil. He's just spewing out verse after verse and he's quoting scripture, right? Because Jesus had studied scripture. He'd spent time in the word. You know that song that's like your song that like it's your jam. Like it comes on and you crank it in the car and you're like, hey, got my hands up playing my song. You know, like that one, right? Party in the USA. If it's anybody, I don't know. But maybe you got a jam, all right? And, and you know every single word, right? Like if your life depended on it, what would that song be? What would that song be? You got to know every single lyric. I want you to drop that in the chat, okay? Drop it in the chat. Let us know what that song is for you, what your jam is, all right? I would probably know Jesus loves me, you know, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Nice and easy, uh, or some rap song that I probably shouldn't sing here, but, right, we all got a jam that we know, you know what I'm saying? We all got a song that we know that we just can't, uh, uh, can we can get it to, Right? That happens by constantly listening to that song. Us, us, us knowing our jam and knowing every lyric happens by us playing it all the time. Maybe it was, it was played a lot when we were a kid or, or maybe we're just, we're just jamming out to it all the time at work or while we're in the yard, whatever it is, we got a jam. That happens by constant listening over and over and over See, why can't we do that with the Bible? Why is it hard for us to do that with the word of God? Because I wonder, just like those songs, if we could be spewing out scripture and, and fighting temptation and, and, and fighting this world, if we were filling ourselves constantly with the word of God. I came across some statistics recently about people who were in the Bible four times a week. That's all it was. Four times a week is what it took. They said one to two times in the Bible, reading the Bible one to two times a week had negligible effect. Three times had a small little bump, but four times a week had drastic change in people's lives. Check, the, check these statistics out. Loneliness, being in the Bible four times a week, loneliness dropped 30%. You've been feeling lonely? Anger dropped 32%. You've been feeling angry? 
Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. You've been struggling at home with some of your relationships? Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Pornography dropped 60%. These statistics drastically changed from people being in the word four times a week. Here's some positive statistics. Sharing faith four times a week in the Bible. Sharing faith spiked 200% and discipling others spiked 230%. We can't make these statistics up. Here's the thing. Being in the word, spending time with God will drastically change your life. It will change how you walk. It will change how you talk. It will change how you interact with people. It will change how you serve. It will change how you give. It will change how you love. That's four times a week. And you can count Sunday or whenever you're watching church. All right, you can count that one. So that's three times, Monday through Friday. Getting in the word with God has drastic change on our lives. Things happen when we start spending time with God. And I know some of you, maybe like me, where, where you look at these statistics and, and you're like, okay, all right, that's like a basic thing, right? You're looking at, at one through four. You're like prayer, reading your Bible, whatever, dude. I've heard these. They're basic, simple Christian religion things. Okay, I want something bigger. What else is there? It can't just be reading my Bible. It can't just be prayer, right? I want something bigger. I want something stronger, something more, more spiritually profound, right? Give me some, some meat, okay? What else is there? What can I do to strengthen my faith? And I'm there, right? It's hard for me to view these simple things as the things, right? But I'm reminded of, of this story that I heard about a, a performance coach for the NBA and an author uh, named Alan Stein, who, who got a chance to, to spend some time with Kobe Bryant, who just a couple months ago tragically passed away. But Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, at the peak of his career, had this interaction with Alan Stein. He, he came up to him and he asked if he could come to his practice. And Kobe was like, yeah, four o'clock, be there at four o'clock. So I was like, shoot, all right. So he gets there, 4 a.m., to watch Kobe Bryant at the peak of his career practice. And this guy's excited, like he's ready. Like, dude, what does Kobe do to practice, right? It's gotta be something different. It's gotta be something crazy, all this crazy stuff, right? So he goes to the practice at 4 a.m. to watch Kobe Bryant practice. And he writes that for 45 minutes, he says, I watched the greatest basketball player in the world do the most simple and basic drills ever. I watched the greatest basketball player in the world at that time do simple ball handling. I watched him do simple dribbling. I watched him do simple footwork. He watched him do the basic basketball steps and drills. He was mind blown. He was so taken back. He went up to Kobe after and he was like, hey man, thanks for having me. That was awesome. And he asked him and he goes, hey, Dude, you're like the greatest basketball player in the world right now. You just did like basic stuff. Like, why are you just doing like basic drills? He writes that, that Kobe Bryant, with his big smile, looked at him and he said, you know why I'm the best basketball player in the world? Because I never got bored of the basics. And I wonder if we, like Kobe, <laughs> could apply the basic things 
that God may be asking us to do. And, and, and maybe it's the basic, the simple, the, 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 the tiny moments with God in the morning or at night in the afternoon, reading our Bible or just praying out to him. Maybe it is these simple things that can have drastic transformation on our lives. And I wonder what our lives will look like, not in these grandiose moments, but just doing the little things consistently. How that could transform our lives. The fifth and, and, and final point that we see Jesus doing in this story in the wilderness is, is that Jesus moved from identity. Jesus moved from identity. Everything he did was moved from that moment in chapter three when he gets baptized and, 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 it, and God looks down on him and says, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. God's words sent him into the wilderness. He was moved from his identity. Here's the thing. Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. Jesus knew who he was because he knew whose he was. He knew who he belonged to. He knew who had spoken over him already. And I wonder how we would drastically change if we moved and came from a place of identity. Asking ourselves before every day, hey, how would a child of God act today? Hey, what, what does a child of God do on this nice day? Hey, would a child of God do that. And maybe it's in the way we speak to other people. If you're a parent or, or a leader in a business, maybe it's how you communicate to your people, not from a place of, of looking down on them and, 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 and just correcting them negatively, but speaking powerfully and positive. I heard a pastor say that it drastically changes things when we speak to who they are becoming rather than who they are then. So speak from a place of identity, right? Hey, you're a big brother, you're a big sister, that's, that's, that's not how you act. You got siblings who are looking up to you. Do you think that's how you should act? Or hey, you're a leader in this community. You're a leader in this business. Do you think those actions were helping lead people? I know you're capable of more. I know that you can do this. Hey, here in, the, in our family, we wanna be people who are known for, for this. Do you think that was that? Or how do you think you could, be, right? That drastically changes the conversation when we're speaking about identity, when we know who we are because of whose we are, when we know who we are becoming. You see, point five is, is, is better executed, is better understood by doing one through four, by praying, fasting, spending time with God, being alone in our Bible, praying, right? All these things, they're better executed, going into the fight. These things are, are, we better understand our identity by executing one through four. But also one through four are better executed by coming from identity, right? If I'm gonna be a child of God, I wanna read my Bible. I wanna pray, I wanna, I wanna fast, I wanna go into the fight. I wanna spend time with God. This is the most important point of it all is that we, we need to move from identity. We need to know whose we are. All throughout scripture, it says that, that God is holding us by his mighty right hand. He's holding us by his mighty right hand. In, in those days, uh, the left hand was seen as, as weakness. 
most everybody in the Bible would have been right-handed, right? If you were left-handed, then it, it almost was seen as a disability. So, so when he says he's holding us by, our, by his right hand, what hand would he be holding of ours, right? If you're holding someone with your right hand, you're holding their left hand, right? So if he's holding us with his mighty right hand, he's, he's, it's not so much about his mighty right hand, but it's so much that he's holding our weak left hand. Because God is a God who is in the fight with us. He's a God who's taking us by the hand and wants to step in to this faith journey with us. And he's saying, hey, I know where you are weak. I know where you fall short. I want to step in where you are weak. I am made stronger. So I will fight for you. I will fight with you. That is our identity. Identity is in a God who is holding our hand, leading us into battle, leading us into victory, leading us into overcoming the wilderness, overcoming temptation. He is holding you. And maybe you need this reminder that you are not in this alone and that your identity is in the God who created the universe. Maybe you've, you've, you've never even heard that at all. This is the first time that, that you've been told that. But your identity is not in what you've done. It's not even in what you will do. It's not in what you did last night. It's not in what you're doing right now. Your identity is in God. Your identity is in a, a, a father who looks at you and said, this is my beloved. This is my child. This is the one whom I am well pleased with. So I want to encourage you. Maybe for, for the first time ever, you're ready to take hold of that right hand and step into a relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you to, to say yes to him. Because when we take hold of his right hand, when we take hold of who he says we are, when we take hold, we receive power to equip us to overcome the wilderness. When we take hold, we receive grace that covers our sin. When we take hold, we receive love that casts out fear. When we take hold of his right hand, we step in to our identity as his son and as his daughter. Baptism is referred to as oftentimes being born again. And maybe that's the step where you're at is, is, is maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's being born again. And like Jesus going from there and being born to be wild. You see, just because we have a relationship with Jesus, just because our identity is in, in, in God, it doesn't mean that we won't face the wilderness, right? Like, matter of fact, we may face it even more, but it doesn't mean we won't face the wilderness. It means we can overcome the wilderness because we have a God who is holding us by his hand. He is looking at us and he is declaring who you are over anything the world could tell you. And he's saying, this is how you'll overcome the wilderness. This is how you'll overcome temptation. This is how you'll overcome 
addiction. This is how you'll fight shame. This is how you'll fight grief. This is how you'll fight anxiety. This is how you'll fight loneliness with my right hand because your identity is in him. So let's lean in to who Jesus is in the wilderness and at his baptism and immediately implement those into who we are as his children and apply those to our lives so that in this season, we too may grow into the people he's called us to be so that we too can overcome the wilderness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. God, you are the God who fights for us. You are, you are for us. You are with us. You are in our midst. And God, it, it seems crazy right now. This world is full of, of, of chaos and, and, and stress and maybe fear or worry. But God, I pray right now that for each and every person watching this, God, that rather than over them being overwhelmed with fear and stress and worry, God, they would be overwhelmed with your peace. They'd be overwhelmed with your joy. They'd be overwhelmed with your love. God, that we would understand that you are the fulfillment of Israel. That God, you show up where we are weak. You show up where we have failed. And God, because of you, God, with you, with a relationship with you, we too can overcome the temptation in the wilderness. So God, we thank you and we ask that you would go before us and lead us through the fight. You are good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.